Welcome back to the Ducks Dash, which is the University of Oregon Dash show on Dash Sports. I'm Izzy LaRue. Here with me is Michael Streit. Michael, let's get into everything Ducks football. So let's just start off on the bad points of this performance, even though they're 2-0. Um, how are the turnover, turnovers affecting the team? Yeah, it's been a weird start for Oregon with two convincing wins, despite being very much on the other side of the turnover margin. I mean, this is like a golden rule of football in general is if you're not going to win the turnover battle, that really doesn't help your chances of winning. And we, this was a conversation that we had last game when Oregon had two turnovers and Stanford had zero. And we said, um, Oregon's lucky that they got away with this, that they you know, made two mistakes, but they were still just that much better, that they made it work. And now it was even worse. I mean, three turnovers in the first half. It was kind of a blur how you know rough that stretch was in the first half with just giving the ball to Washington State. But it was another situation where despite those mistakes, especially on the offensive side of the ball, Oregon was just so potent and so dominant and so well-prepared that it didn't really factor into the, to the game being that close even. But I, you know, I'm not sure what to make of it because I'm not sure if it was just a couple bad games or if this is going to be a year long turnover problem for Oregon. Cause if you look specifically at those three turnovers from the first half in the Washington state game, where for those that don't know, Oregon came out on top with a great second half. Some of them looked a bit fluky. I mean, they looked just like bad bounces or, you know, just kind of not used to playing in the cold, not really like big errors. Yeah, I know. Um, it's still going to be a big problem because if we see this going on later into later games, uh, Oregon, they're not going to win a bowl game, a Pac-12 championship. They're not going to be able to finish their season strong because if you're having three turnovers against Washington State, which is going to be one of the bottom teams in the North Division, and then two against Stanford, and you have two fumbles and a pick, to the same guy, Aiden Hector seemed like he was about to be the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week until the second half rolled around. Luckily, we stopped him from doing any more damage to our offense in the second half. But uh, these turnovers, they're very telling. Even though you saw like there's some bad bounces, uh, one of them was a bad handoff between Chuck and Verdell. And as a starting QB with your number one running back, you have to have that handoff exchange pretty tight and locked down, even though there was three guys coming uh, in Verdell's face and Chuck was trying to pull it out and Verdell maybe thought it was still his ball. You still have to be able to pull that out and the running back has to have that knowledge and be like, oh, my quarterback's trying to pull out the ball and run it because there's three defensive linemen in front of me. I'm not going to get any yards on this play. Yeah, that is one of the unfortunate realities of the RPO offense is there are a lot of plays where C.J. Verdell is thinking I could be getting the ball or I could not be. And it's a very specific skill for quarterbacks in these offenses to be able to give the ball and sort of make it look like you're handing it off and then pull it out of that pocket. So it is definitely a uh, something that these RPO quarterbacks, it's a, something they got to get good at, something they, you know, it's a genuine skill and how well you can sell that fake. That turnover was the most concerning I'd say but overall 
Um, it's definitely something Oregon has to clean up. It's definitely something that they can't afford to just keep winning games while losing the turnover battle. Um, but, you know, that was the most clear one of just giving the ball away. I mean, you can't just drop the ball on a handoff like that. Like, plays like that, when it's a close game, you just point right to those plays and you're like, well, Oregon would have won this close game if not for, like, plays like this where you just kind of gave the ball away. Um, so you definitely got to clean up on those mistakes, um, which they did and in the second half. To remember those Tyler Shuck passes that weren't intercepted. He had one against Stanford where it went off the hands of the DB and then against Washington State this last game where it went off the hands of the linebacker. He literally threw it straight to the defenders, and he was just lucky that they could not catch the ball. And you're wondering how he's going through his progressions because we've talked about it last episode. This episode, again, I don't know what he sees in the defensive scheme when he's looking to throw the ball, but it looks like he just can't make his progressions whatsoever. It's like once he knows what route he wants to pass to, he's going to pass it to them no matter what, even if it's a bad throw. Yeah, that's a great point about Tyler Shuck. I mean, we're both happy, uh, you know, with Tyler Shuck's performance and his start to the year. And it's like, you know, there's there's a lot of positive storylines to come out of it, but he's got those turnovers already on the books. And he's got, uh, like we said, in both the Stanford game and in the Washington State game, he's got passes that should have been intercepted. So he is not making, you know, smart decisions. And he's making those like rookie mistakes, although he's a sophomore at this point, but he is making those mistakes that happen to a college quarterback that just isn't all isn't all the way there in terms of progressions and the mental part of the game. So he's making those mistakes and you play up against a better defense, you're going to get punished. And you're not just going to get punished for an interception. You're going to get, you know, really harassed. You're going to get pick sixes potentially. And with Tyler Shuck, I mean, he's got a lot of confidence. He's got a lot of mojo, a lot of swag, and he's, he knows what he's doing with, with making – you know, commanding this offense. It really feels like he's confident as this leader of this offense, but that can get taken away so quickly and you can have the game swing so quickly on like a pick six from like a really bad Tyler Shuck throw, right? Some really disastrous performance there. Uh, And that's something to keep an eye on. And another thing that we should touch on is the defensive side of the ball. Oregon hasn't forced any turnovers. I mean, I was just is... about to say that you read my mind. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, why hasn't Oregon gotten any turnovers yet? Yeah, this was a hallmark of Oregon's defense last year. Was that although they did give up quite a few yards in certain areas, and they did have stretches of games where they weren't that good, they were able to get big plays. And when they needed a big stop, they were able to get a big, big stop. And it just kind of felt like whenever Oregon's defense really needed to show up. They came through, and they were very clutch last year. And it's a mystery right now. I mean, it's a two games, so it's a small sample size, but there's no big plays. I mean, there's just a kind of solid performances in both games. Um, nothing to write home about. I mean, especially Stanford scored 14 points, yes, but they also missed four field goals, so they were moving the ball down the field pretty well. In both games, you're facing offenses that, you know, uh, exceeded expectations a little bit, did a little bit better than they should. 
um, is if you're, you know, if you're so high on this Oregon defense and statistically, it's kind of hard to measure because of teams playing different amounts of games. But we talked about Oregon's defense being number one in the Pac-12 as just sort of an obvious thing this year, like, oh, their defense will be the best in the conference since it was, you know, it's, it's going to be better than last year. And, and it's kind of a question mark right now. Like, it, are they going to are they going to live up to that, or is this just some something weird happening with this defense where not all the right pieces are there? It just seems like they cannot stop the run to save their lives, and I don't know what it has to do because the D line they are supposed to be one of the best parts of the team. They only have one sack in two games, and that one sack came from Noah Sewell, who he went off last game. He he showed why he was a highly sought out recruit. I'm getting all those tackles, getting those tackles for losses. And it's just – it's very concerning because if you have teams like Stanford and Washington State running all over you, imagine when you get to a bowl game with uh, Travis Etienne or some other – like an Alabama running back, uh, Najee Harris, where these guys, they're going to be first-round picks as running backs and – they're just honestly, they would tear up this defense at least putting up 200 rushing yards. Yeah, this is a big question for both Oregon on offense and defense. That we've watched two games against not good teams. I mean, these are teams that are going to be either middle of the road or in the bottom half of the Pac 12. I mean, these just are teams that Oregon should take care of. And I talked about how if Oregon's going to have a slow start to the season, they got really lucky that these are the two teams they get to play. I mean, they don't have to take on any heavy hitters in the first couple of weeks. They got two games where they were 10 point favorites and they actually beat the spread in both games. So it's weird because they looked, they, they did even better than the spread said they should. They had two convincing victories, two victories of 14 or more points. And yet what we're talking about is that if the the level of competition rises, if the team they're facing increases, there's all these, you know, questions and all these holes in this team that we're seeing right before our eyes, like the turnovers, the lack of sacks, um, you know, the defense not being all the way there, Tyler Shuck's decision-making. We're seeing all these red flags and we're saying, okay, when, once the games get real and you're facing some top, top teams, you know, even a USC top 25 team, uh, it's a little scary. It's it's a little bit, um, you know, it doesn't feel like they're they're all the way there yet. But that doesn't take away from um, one thing that is true. And before we jump into the next topic, is the I do want to flex that I think one of the biggest themes for Oregon this year is going to be that they are better in the second half. That you got to beat them in the first half, and that they are going to just dominate. Like they're gonna not dominate, but they're gonna be so much better of a second half team. And I'm two for two for, you know, two for two on those predictions. I think that's been true in the first two games that the first half is when you get them. The second half is when they lock things down. And I think that's just going to be a reoccurring theme all season. Yeah. Let's talk about that second half a little bit more and talk about the offense. So Michael, what part of the offense impressed you the most, the passing and the rushing part? Yeah, Izzy, this is something I texted you right after the game because it really blew me away. And Oregon, so look at them offensively. They had three turnovers, and yet they still put up, what was it, 43 points. So they were, they scored six touchdowns. They were moving the ball every chance they got. 
outside of the three turnovers, they were probably pushing that into the 50 range for points, right? Um, so the second half especially was like a flawless half for Oregon's offense. I mean, it even, even at the very end of the game when Washington State was still sort of holding on and like there was a little bit of a chance of a comeback, the way that they moved the ball, I mean, it was just merciless down the field just moved it and moved it. And then the touchdown that the, the final touchdown Oregon scored was just the Cyrus Habibi Likio one yard run. And he wasn't touched. I mean, he just walked into the end zone. Like it was the easiest thing. And it was like this deflating thing for Washington state. Like, okay, we're not going to stop them today because it was all over the place. And to answer the question, Izzy, the best part of Oregon's offense is the play calling. I think Joe Moorhead has impressed me so much in these first two games and just a lot in this last game every time Oregon had a big play I was sitting back in my chair going whoa that was a great play like that was such a well-designed play that was a great call that was a great decision you're seeing a lot of open gaps you're seeing a lot of open receivers and you're seeing a lot of really genius plays out of Joe Moorhead including the big Tyler Shuck runs. I mean, he's still getting a lot of rushing yards. And I just think that was one of the best play calling games that I've seen in my life from an offensive coordinator. It was all game long. He was impressing. Yeah. It seemed like play after play, he just kept calling the right plays to get Oregon either touchdowns or first downs and Oregon fans right after the game, they immediately said, thank God we don't have Marcus Arroyo anymore because now we have Joe Moorhead a guy who can actually make these play calls and make us better. But to answer the question, I'm going to have to go with the rushing part of the offense. And the only reason why I go with the rushing over the passing is just because of how Chuck has been playing now, even though he's been great, we can both agree on that. Like everything that we're saying, it's just nitpicking. That's how good he is. If we're nitpicking at someone, that's how you know they're really good. Cause we're just finding like the small little details where they can be better and the one thing that bothered me about last game is that he kept on throwing the ball behind the receivers because you saw the receivers having to go back and reach for the ball a lot. When you're running full speed, say you're doing a slant route or a post route or a dig route, your your body is going forward, your momentum is going forward, and when you have to reach backwards, it's gonna it really just slows you down in total. It leaves you open for hits. It's not an easy catch. And then you're having to switch up your momentum. You're like, okay, where am I in the field? That's really one of the worst things you can do for a receiver as a quarterback is throw it behind them unless if a safety is coming down and that's where a spot where they can catch and not take a big hit. But otherwise, if they're just running an open field and you're throwing it behind them, it's going to be really frustrating for the receiver because he's like, just hit me in stride and I'll go for the touchdown. You saw that with the this Jalen Red. Uh, he had like – I think it was a 40-yard reception. He was three yards away from the touchdown. That was because he was wide open, but Chuck just didn't hit him in stride, and he had to wait for the ball. Luckily, the defender didn't turn around for the pick. But uh, that's why I'm going with the rushing team because in the rushing team, you mentioned it, this O-line has been great. Mario Cristobal has truly shown why he's such a great offensive line coach. You saw so many huge gaps. Like, Michael, me and you could have yeah. been running out there. That's how big the, those gaps were. Yeah. And then once you have the trifecta of Verdell, 
die and Habibi Likio making a touchdown, you know that's game over. That's GG. When those three guys get at least one touchdown apiece, game over. Travis, he, he even had himself a hat trick. He had a rushing touchdown and two passing touchdowns. Burdell had rushing and um, Habibi Likio had rushing one. So, and what what are they combined for? For almost 269 rushing yards. They were insane, even though last year alone, CJ Burdell had 200, um, like 75 rushing yards. He still did really good this game. Seems like he has Washington State's number. Yeah, in all of our season previews, I was saying that yeah, Oregon's offense is really scary. I don't think they're, or they're scared. You should be scared if it is an Oregon fan. I thought they would have a slow start that it might be really tough going, that they would have to be figuring out the quarterback situation. I couldn't be more wrong. Oregon's offense is firing on all cylinders. They are hitting every single mark in these first two games. And uh, what's weird is we went from last year with, like, so much talent on this team, and Marcus Arroyo was the offensive coordinator, just some sort of head-scratching moments where fans were like, I mean, you know, I feel like we should be better than this. I feel like we should be more explosive. And now you've got Joe Moorhead coming in and you've got all these, you know, new pieces and new faces. And it feels like he is getting the absolute max out of every guy he has. That offensive line is performing as good as you could expect. Tyler Shuck has had as good of a start as you could expect. You can't be disappointed with that. And that three-headed monster in the backfield, they are all just hitting it, right? I mean, literally they all did what their stereotypical sort of spot in Oregon's rotation is. C.J. Verdell is the main back that's going to get consistent yards and some big, big carries. He had 100 yards. It was a classic C.J. Verdell game where he just kind of figures out a way to get to 100 yards, and it's always impressive in the box score. Travis Dye comes in, change of pace, gets a receiving touchdown, you know, gets some incredible, you know, runs, really opens up the offense. It was impressive. Every time he touched the ball, he just found a way to get open. It was weird. Like, he would catch the ball and just be in open space. And then, if you, you know, you'd think if they're both doing so well all the time and they're both having great games that there isn't room for Cyrus and B.B. Leakio. And he comes in at the very end of the game to just pound the ball in the end zone and get a one-yard touchdown run. So even he ends up in that box score. Even he ends up, you know, doing his job as a goal line back as like a nice third option. And then if you have this three-headed monster, you can mix in Tyler Shuck, who is just running the ball so well. I mean, it is just it is eye-opening. Every time he takes off downfield, picks up those first downs, is really cutting teams up. One thing that Tyler Shuck, I guess, has to improve on is being able to run around in the pocket and still make a throw. Because this is something that young quarterbacks always struggle with, is that once they decide to run, that's what they're doing. And what you see elite quarterbacks, and you know, if you watch any Marcus Mariota highlight reel, what he's doing is running around in the pocket, and he could have some big, you know, big yardage runs, but he could also just evade some defenders and then stop and make a big throw. And I don't see Tyler Shuck doing that at all right now. I think Tyler, if his progressions aren't open, he's not going to wait for something to happen. He's just going to take off. But it is um, so interesting to see how well he's fitting with Joe Moorhead and what Joe Moorhead wants to do and what a incredible threat he is just running the ball um, and getting big yardage. I mean, this is a couple games now where I think he has over 80 rushing yards. I'm not sure on that, though. 
Yeah, uh, he had over 80 both games. And, yeah, you mentioned it. Um, these receivers, they'll, they're built for a quarterback that when he gets out of the pocket, because, you know, Jalen Red, Johnny Johnson, Micah Pittman, they're players who make big plays and big moments. And if they see their quarterback kind of scrambling in the pocket looking for someone to throw to, they'll just drift towards the quarterback and find that open zone right there, and Chuck will just pass right there in easy yards. So that's something else that he also needs to work on too, like you mentioned. It's a, it's just a lot of little things that Chuck needs to work on, but if he gets those things down, he will be a really good quarterback for years to come at Oregon, and it will be exciting to see having Justin Herbert and then having Tyler Chuck being his protege kind of, but he's becoming his own kind of quarterback in this RPO offense. But uh, let's go to the next topic or the last topic of the day and let's move on, head on over to the UCLA game. I know they uh, were playing today, but uh, we play them this Saturday. So, Michael, tell me what you think the Ducks will do against UCLA this week. Yeah, this was originally a Friday night game that got moved over to Saturday because of the fact that UCLA played on a Sunday, so they didn't want to do like a tight turnaround. Um, I don't remember exactly, but I think that Friday night game was supposed to be an ABC game, which sucks because uh, if it was, then, you know, if it's Chris Fowler and Herb Street or if it's something else, I always, I you know, it's obviously exciting for the nice broadcast teams and stuff out there. Um, so I don't know what the broadcast situation is going to be now for Saturday. And I guess it's always up in the air because last week was sort of the worst or this week that we just got out of was one of the worst weeks of COVID postponements and cancellations and stuff. The Pac-12, uh, you know, applaud, you know, and was it applause all around for them in the Pac-12 because they did figure out a way to have this game played on Sunday rather than having two games canceled this week. It was only one. They were able to figure out UCLA, oh, you guys can play Cal, you guys can play on Sunday, like make it work, which it's got to be pretty crazy to think about game planning for one team all week and then in a day it's like, oh, you're playing this team now. That's got to be weird. Um, and But it was a, you know, it, there was no doubt about who was the better team. Like UCLA just took care of business. I mean, they dominated Cal. Um, offensively, um, it is not, I don't know, I haven't researched UCLA enough. I'm still in a bit of sort of the hangover from Pullman last night. <laughs> but UCLA scored a lot of points in their first two games. They are going to be the best offense that Oregon has faced so far. And they are going to uh, score a lot of points and they're going to put a lot of pressure on Oregon to uh, continue to rise. And it's been a 10, about 10, 10 and a half point spread for Oregon uh, as them being the favorites in the first two weeks. I think that'll, that'll fall a little bit. I think this will be, I don't know. I'm not good at setting these spreads, but I think this will be the toughest opponent that Oregon has faced this year. Yeah, most definitely, because you have a kind of Stanford team that's trying to find their identity, and then Washington State team who just got a new head coach, new quarterback. They're trying to figure out if they're going to be a run-first team or if they're going to mix in um, some kind of run-pass offense. And now you have UCLA, who has a guy in DTR who's made um, big noise in the in the offseason – and he showed it against Cal, and uh, I feel bad for Cal because this was Cal's first game of the season, and they were preparing for their game against what was it? Who are they playing? Utah, right? Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, and then within the day's notice, like, oh, you guys are playing UCLA, and UCLA they already had a game under their belt from last week, 
So they were already battle tested and they're like, okay, well, we're just going to play whoever. It doesn't matter. We just want to play these games. And then Cal just, unfortunately, they got the shorter end of the stick with that. But uh, if Oregon does the same thing and sort of slow against this UCLA team, it's going to be a very, very tight game because obviously Oregon, Oregon, they're going to come back in the second half. We all know it. They're a second half team. It's very frustrating, but at least you know what they are at the moment. They can easily fix that with fixing those turnover issues. But right now they're a second half team. And if UCLA puts up 14 to 21 points in the first half, it's going to be a very, very tight game for Oregon to win it in the second half because coming, if it's like, what, 21-7, 14-7 coming to halftime, that's not in a position where you want to be at. But I, Oregon, they, they thrive in those type of situations, so I'm, it wouldn't be no hassle for them. Yeah, and Oregon did most of their damage in the second half, but one part of Washington state that we do need to touch on briefly is that the last drive of the first half was sort of felt like a game winning drive. I mean, it was such a breath of fresh air and it was like this Oregon fans were like, okay, you know, we're going to be okay. It was such an incredible drive. I mean, basically Tyler shock and the Oregon offense gets the ball. They've had a terrible first half. They've only scored, I think seven points on, uh, and they're, they have like three plays to do something like they literally have like three plays, 10 seconds on the clock and they scored a touchdown in two plays. I mean, that was insane. Um, that was really incredible. And that was the a huge, huge moment in that Oregon Washington state game. UCLA. Uh, it, I don't know how many weeks I'm going to have to say this, but if you start slow, if you lose the turnover battle, you're going to put yourself in a situation where the game comes down to the wire. And if Oregon continues to, if the defensive line continues to sort of not be great, and if they lose the turnover battle again, especially if they lose by two or more, right, if it's two or three turnovers over the course of the game without forcing any, then of course I'm going to expect this game to be close. Um, I would have expected the last two games to be close, and Oregon was just that much better, right? They've, They've got so much talent that they muscled their way through. It's, this is going to be a, a close game unless Oregon plays a much, much cleaner style of football. And if it's a close game, then you start talking about coming down to like Camden Lewis, right? And Camden Lewis making some big field goals for the win, which Camden Lewis is 0 for 2 on field goals this year. I mean, it is a really painful thing to watch him try and figure it out because he was bad at the beginning of last year. And you can't deny that he's had a bad, bad start to this year. Yeah, not only does he have to do better, but the defense too. I want to see this defense at least get two sacks. I want to see, I want yeah. to finally see Kayvon Thibodeau sack. I know we almost saw it a couple of times against Washington State, but this defensive line, they have to get pressure on this UCLA quarterback because they can get in his face, make him uncomfortable in the pocket, make him try to run outside. Um, Oregon's DBs, they're going to love that because every DB loves it when their D line gives them a chance because all you need is a chance for the quarterback to throw an iffy ball, maybe it's swatted down, and then you can make those plays where they get that pick. Then you get those explosive plays where it pumps up the offense, they're ready to go and score off that turnover, and then defense, they're on the sideline happy like, okay, okay, we know what we need to do now. Keep doing this. We're going to be all in their faces again, and then when they next time they come back on the field, 
Same story. D-line pressure in their face. DBs making plays. Linebackers getting the tackles. That's what Oregon's defense needs to do. Yeah, what was also concerning about this lack of sacks, I mean, there's one in those first two games for Oregon's defense, and it's from a linebacker. It's not even from the defensive line. Is that they, they're in charge. They're in the lead by multiple touchdowns in these games. So you know that the other teams, Stanford, Washington State, that they're having to pass the ball. You know that they're passing. They're down by 14 points. They're trying to come back, right? This is like that is a defensive lineman's dream situation when you come out on the field and you're like, they have to pass the ball so I know that I can just attack and get this aggressive pass rush going and get this sack, right? And it's still not happening. I mean, it'd be one thing if – you know, there was some rushing attack and there was a lot going on and it was sort of like a close game. But for Oregon to be winning in the fashion they do, it feels like this is exactly what the defense wants to just sort of squeeze the life out of the other team with these crushing sacks and these big plays on defense. But none of that is happening. And um, I don't know. I think it it will come come back. I think we'll see – defense start to get some sacks like you said a couple some turnovers you'll see that but it's not there right now and it's really weird yeah we will end it off right there thank you for everyone who joined us today make sure to check out our exclusive content at sportspack12.com where that sports hosts write weekly columns and thank you for joining us again once again and make sure to follow us at dash sports tv on instagram Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. And also check out our website at dashboards.tv and make sure to catch our weekly shows Sundays at 1 p.m. and also crossover shows on Fridays.